0: take a seat well again it is uh it is good to be able to together together it's been a weird very weird week and few days uh and we're not even experiencing probably the isolation that so many in our country and, and world are and there's something beautiful about having one collective voice singing and worshiping i think as the scriptures say we uh should not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's a time and place and who knows what next week has in store. We'll see and communicate. But that's the reason is because there's beauty and power in us proclaiming uh, the the truths about our God and power and and togetherness of the church of which Christ is is the head. And so thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you. Uh, We started last week a new series through the book of Mark. Which I am excited about, but we're gonna take a detour from just for, for one day, uh, which seems to be the thing. I change my mind all the time. So we are actually going to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Poor Nate, I, I put my slides in for uh, the sermons on like Friday afternoons, and I, I typed the wrong th- passage in like every other week. And so poor Nate put in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he texts me at like 6 this morning, and he's like, hey, are you sure this is the passage you're using? Because I have no idea how you're going to make a connection here. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. And then I read it, I'm like, yeah, not that one. That's not going to work. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 7. Also, if you saw the video and email we put out this week, I stated the wrong times. You're here at 9, so this is not relevant to you. But I said our gathering times are at 9 and 11 a.m., and they're not. Our gathering times have always been at 9 and 1045 I'm supposed to know what's going on, but apparently I don't. Sorry. The reason I said that, though, is because beginning on Easter Sunday, we are actually switching our times to 9 and 11 a.m. to create more space in between for people to to be together. Uh, So, Easter, 9 and 11 a.m. Until then, we'll stick with 9 and 1045. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. The context of this is interesting. Paul's writing to Timothy. We're going to read that the last time they were together, Timothy actually had tears. And the reason for that is likely that they were being separated. And it's not that perhaps that is because Paul was being taken away to be imprisoned in Rome. We're not, we're not sure why exactly. But uh, Paul's most likely in Rome. He's writing to Timothy, uh, somebody he's discipling and teaching. And the circumstances are interesting. They're filled with anxiety, suffering of different varieties. And so there's actually some parallels in what Paul is writing to Timothy to our moment today. Very much different. It's not the same. But there's some parallels that I want to discuss that I think are helpful. And less parallels about their moment and our moment, more parallels about who God is in the midst of every single moment. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. Ironically, or not ironically, just as a a matter of fact, uh, later in the the history of Rome, uh, a plague that comes through and has a devastating impact actually is one of the marks and moments in church history when the church steps up and grows maybe more than it ever has before or since in all of church history. In the midst of sickness and questioning and anxiety, the presence of Jesus reigning as king, working through his church, works powerfully. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning. Let's go ahead and, and read this passage together, Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. Clearly recalling your sincere faith, that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So there's a few things here that I want us to talk about, some parallels and some differences. The first thing I want to look at is the first sentence again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Paul, Timothy, and you and I share the same primary vocation. The same job, the same mission, and that is to bring before people a reflection of God's love and his character and his story specifically the promise of life in Christ Jesus. We know life is not the way it's meant to be. It's filled with both beauty and brokenness currently, but there's a lot of brokenness. And one day we have a promise that when Jesus reigns as king, life will be fully as it was meant to be. And so Paul and Timothy work in their life as you and I are called to do. This is not something for people in quote unquote ministry, but rather the church as a whole is defined by our job to go out into the midst of the everyday stuff of life To live an example of the way of Jesus and to be a preview of what life is going to look like when there is no more sin and Satan and sickness and death. But rather life is perfect as God originally made it to be. That's a job we all share in common. That's a job Paul and Timothy shared in common. No matter what your actual vocation is, what type of work you do, your number one job is to proclaim Christ. That's what we are here for The other work matters deeply and is actually probably the primary medium where we will proclaim the good news of Jesus and be a preview. But our first and primary job is to say, here's a glimpse of the love and peace and hope that can only come with the name of Jesus. Let's look at verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, this is unique. Paul is saying that Timothy has a specific and a unique gift, the gift that you have. So what he's saying is, I don't have, as Paul, the same gift that you have to give Timothy. In the same way, Paul had gifts that Timothy did not. I have gifts that you do not have. Nate has gifts I don't have. You have gifts that I don't have. This is the beauty of God's design. It's it's actually pretty incredible. He didn't send one person other than Jesus to be the head of the church. And as Jesus leads each of us with unique gifts and understandings and abilities, we're going to paint a picture of who He is and His plan for life. Paul says, "There's a gift that you have been given, Timothy." One of uh, my mentors and, and friends, Chuck Bomar, who was on our management team, says that a, a gift isn't a gift until it's given so simple but so profound so often people have skills they have things that that might be helpful for others but it's not actually a gift until it's been given and so paul is telling timothy don't stop giving of the gift that you have in the same way we are each called according to the specific gifting that god has created you with and given to you to be gift givers of something only you can give to the people in your context the gift timothy has is unique (coughs) In the same way, when you build a home, there's different people that have different roles. You have carpenters and plumbers and electricians and painters and on and on. They come together for the sake of one project. We as the church with different gifts come together for the sake of one project to proclaim the good news about Christ Jesus. But now let's go ahead and look at verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit. There's a difference there. Paul, Paul tells Timothy, here is the gift that you have, and then he says, for God has not given us a spirit. And so the gift is unique to the individual as God gives it to his body, to the church, but the spirit is not unique. The spirit is given to all. It's, a, it's important that we understand this. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, there's something we have to be careful not to think, Paul is saying. He's not saying this. Don't replace the word spirit with attitude. For God has not given us an attitude of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Paul's not talking about a demeanor, an attitude, or a way of life. That'd be easy to think, actually. What he's actually saying is that you have been gifted. You have been given. We all have the same spirit of God. Not an attitude. But God himself, in the form of the Holy Spirit, has been given to each of us the same so that we can each use our unique gifting according to the, the faith and, and measure that God has given us to build up his church and the world around us so that they might know the love, hope, and peace that, again, only come from the name of Jesus. Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. How is Timothy to do this? How are we to do this? It's not by developing a new strategy or trying harder or more or or anything of that variety. It's not developing anything new. Rather, it's mining out and extracting what we already have. This is maybe one of the things that our modern church and our nation, especially in non-denominational churches like our own, are really, really bad at. We like to develop new strategies and the 10-step plan, which I'm all about. Like That's who I am. I like 10-step plans and new strategies, and let's delegate and make this happen. But Paul's actually saying the opposite. He's saying stop planning, stop doing, take a deep breath, and extract like you're mining or gold panning in a river, whatever image you want to use, bring out what you've already been given, because you actually have everything you need through the power of the Spirit plus the gifts that each of you uniquely have. Can you imagine a world where the church actually gave the gifts it has to one another and the world around us? What Paul is saying is don't try harder, just stop and allow the spirit to work in you. Again, not an attitude, but the actual person of Yahweh God, the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who is with us and has been given to each of us. So I wanna take a a couple minutes to talk about the characteristics Paul lists about this spirit for God has not given us a spirit of there's four things it's not a spirit of fearfulness but one that brings power love and sound judgment first let's talk about why it is not a spirit of fearfulness the why is is really critical and the why is because the spirit is God himself who knows all things and is in control over all things and so therefore there's no reason to have fear Uh, Another way to think about this, my mom always says in movies, my mom's funny, she'll only watch a movie if she knows how it ends. I'm like, that takes away the whole point. Like, there's a journey and an experience you go on. She's like, I'll watch it, you just have to tell me how it ends first. I'm like, what's the point of watching it? But for us as Christians, followers of Christ, that actually is really good advice, the reason we do not have a spirit of fear in the midst of real chaos, in the midst of real anxiety, fear, whatever it may be, is because that moment is a moment and nothing more. That moment is a chapter in the book and the pages will be turned and we know how the book ends. On, uh, on Thursday night, as the world was falling apart, I was in the, uh, the midst of extreme self-pity because I'm supposed to leave on Tuesday to go to New York City and do nothing but watch basketball for like four days. I do this every year. It's glorious. I love it. So I'm like a kid that's like, was supposed to go to Disneyland and is not going to Disneyland. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good dad. I'm just walking around depressed, right? And not only can I not go on this trip and watch basketball for a whole week with no responsibilities, there's no more sports. And so my wife, Chelsea, is convinced that the whole reason this coronavirus thing has happened is so that men in this world would have to live without sports for a season. <laughs> and so I said, listen, babe, listen, we still have golf. This is Thursday night. I've never cared about golf in my life. I like to play it. I'm ba- I shouldn't say I play it. I like hit the ball around all, all over the place. I'm not good, but I've never watched golf, okay? But I'm like, I'm about to watch golf. Like, at least we have golf left. And my friend Jesse's over. He just moved here. And, and we're watching Toy Story 4, okay? My wife, myself, my friend Jesse, and my three children. We're watching Toy Story 4. Jesse was coming over to watch the ASU basketball game, which is non-existent. We're watching Toy Story 4. And we're, we're sitting there. And, and for my birthday, Jesse bought me a bottle of whiskey. And so I'm like, hey, do you want a you wanna glass of that? And he doesn't even... Look at me, he's watching Toy Story 4 and he ignores me. And I look at my wife and she's like, and I look at Jesse and he's just watching the TV. And like 40 seconds go by, silence. And then he, Woody comes onto the scene for the first time and Jesse, he's like, I don't know how old he is, like 32, he goes, Woody! And I'm like, what is going on in this world? And then like 10 seconds later my phone buzzes and golf is canceled. I'm like, they took golf away. Like, we don't even have golf. It was a rough night. All that said, all that said, we're watching Toy Story 4, and I'm sitting next to my, my little boy. He's three, right? And he goes, are those, Dad, Dad, are those the bad guys? I'm like, yeah, they are. I don't know if you've seen Toy Story 4. It's a kid's movie, right? But it's like on the edge of a horror film. It's crazy. Like the difference between the creepy dolls in Toy Story 4 and like one of those demonic like Seat of Chucky movies or whatever is like real thin. Like it's creepy. And so we're watching and he's like, are those the bad guys, dad? I'm like, yeah, they are. And he goes, I'm scared of bad guys. And I'm thinking, me too. Those things are creepy. But what, what I said and what is true is I said, we'll just keep watching. And we'll see how it ends. Because I know how this movie's going to end. In the same way, we don't have a spirit of fear because the spirit of God is not one of fear. The the scriptures tell us again and again how the story ends. And for that reason, in the midst of something that is real, this is important. We don't pretend things don't exist. And this this applies whether it's the coronavirus uh, and anxiety that's in, in the midst of personal things in life. Whatever goes on midst of it, we recognize we are in the middle of a chapter or a page of a book, but we know how the story ends. And In Colossians uh, chapter 2, I believe, <coughs> Paul writes about this to the church in Colossae. He says this, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. For the entire Fullness of god's nature all of who god is dwells bodily in christ jesus and you have been filled by him and you have been filled by him if i go back to timothy for god has not given us a spirit of fearfulness we have been filled with god himself and you have been filled by him who is the head of over every ruler and authority, not some rulers and authorities. And this isn't just speaking of the political or the government, but also of the spiritual powers in our world that are real, but Christ is the head and ruler over, the key word is every. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism... You were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed. Over them by him. What Paul is communicating is that there is no power or dominion or sickness or Satan or even death itself that has authority over Jesus. This is the beauty we talked about this last week. But of Jesus allowing himself to be killed fully. If an animal dies or something at my house, or like an insect or or whatever it might be, we have two categories of dead in my household. There's dead, which leaves a little bit of gray. But my daughter will clarify fully dead when she says, is, is it dead dead? If you have two deads, there's no question. Jesus was dead dead, like fully dead. They tested it. The Roman soldiers came and looked and observed to know that now we can place him in the grave and this is over. Jesus did that for our sake so that when he rose from the grave by the power of the spirits, we would know there are no authorities, powers. Sickness, death, or Satan that has authority over Jesus or therefore us. Death might come, death will come. But death has no power if Jesus is king like we just said. Back to 2 Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness for we know how the story ends. But rather one of power is, is the next explanation. One of power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is coming from or came from the spirit that you have been given if you are a follower of Christ. I want you to just stop and actually think about that. The same power through the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead after he was dead dead is with you follower of Christ. And I'm just going to stop talking, soak that in for a second, because that's pretty, that's pretty profound. Something like that's hard to grasp. That's why Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, and he does not pray that they could perform miracles or do anything magnificent. He simply prays that they would have power to grasp the love of God because it's it's too great for us to understand, but you have the power of the spirit of God himself with you. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. We know how the story ends, but one of power. Uh, two of my, my favorite people in this church, you're all my favorite, but I also have favorites. Um. <laughs> one of our our elders, Bill Eaton, and my friend Tim, I, I've been trying to connect them for like six months, and they both travel a lot, so it's like impossible. But finally, Bill, who's one of our elders, uh, called Tim on a Saturday. This was either last Saturday or the, the Saturday before it. And he was going to try to connect with him, but Tim's voicemail came up and said he was um, out of town, leave a message. And Bill's like, I'm not leaving a message. You're out of town. I'm only here for a little while. So then he didn't leave a message. They end up actually both being here on a Sunday. Again, this is either last Sunday or the Sunday before and as it just so happens the Saturday after or the Sunday after the Saturday that Bill calls Tim to try to make this connection Tim ends up sitting right behind Bill as it just so happens and as it just so happens throughout the gathering Tim is listening to the spirit and the spirit is speaking uh, about Bill and so after the gathering Tim goes to Bill who just so happens to be sitting right in front of him and says hey I I've heard the same spirit as he's listening that your body wants to do things or excuse me your mind is wanting to do things that your body maybe isn't able to right now and so what you don't know is that this is what I've been praying for and the other elders have been praying for for Bill through through pain and and different uh ailments his body is going through right now for a long time Tim's never met Bill but as it just so happens he sits behind him spirit speaks and moves. And so after he tells Bill this, and Bill's like, wow. And they prayed together. And I go, that's the power of our spirit. And that's real small scale. But the spirit is alive and well and with us. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power next of love. I think anytime we discuss love anywhere... We actually have to define it, because in our culture, the concept of love is an immense injustice. It's actually really bad. It's probably synonymous with nice, and love should have some niceness with it. But if your definition of love is being nice, you're actually going to do a lot of harm to people you care about. And so I always think it's important to define love, and, and this is... One helpful way to do it, I think it's seeking the best interest of another even before our own. That might be nice, that might be not. But it's saying whatever's best for you, I'm going to do even if it's not best for me in this moment. That's love. I'm putting the interest, the desires, what is best for another before self. This is what Christ did for us on the cross. This is the spirit you have, one of love. Love changes the questions that we ask. It changes our filter, and it changes the focus of how we see, hear, and perceive life, as as Nate prayed earlier. Love, because of the power of the Spirit, God himself in us, shaping us to be human the way we were made to be, causes us to see what he wants us to see, to hear what he wants us to hear, and to feel what he wants us to feel. It changes the focus of our questions, and it moves from what do I need in this moment to what do they need we become others centered others focused I heard two stories this morning that are pretty funny as I I walked in one was about somebody sitting in a a toilet stall who watched somebody next to them take the toilet paper and pack it in their purse to leave because (laughs) we're terrified of toilet paper that's crazy Uh, another was of someone shopping in our grocery stores with a a jar of peanut butter in their hand, and they literally had the peanut butter taken out of their hand by somebody who thinks we need that much peanut butter right now. Like, that's different. Like, in that moment, who is the focus? I. That's a lot of people right now because of fear. But that's not the spirit that is with us. That's funny. But we are all selfish, too. And we have to stop, breathe, and extract Let the Holy Spirit overwhelm us so that we are walking in the Spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound judgment. Love changes who you have in mind when you make decisions. Is it self or is it others? On this terrible Thursday night while I was stuck watching Toy Story 4, I got a text from somebody else that goes to the church, and and he just said, hey, I have this idea there's people that are going to be more vulnerable in this time. What if, what if we deliver groceries and we set something up to where they don't have to expose themselves to whatever's out there and we're able to help? And I thought, that's a brilliant idea. That's an example of love. There's certain people that are able to step up and do something like that right now and others who shouldn't. This is changing our focus, our perspective, who we have in mind when we ask certain questions. Lastly, sound judgment. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. As I think of sound judgment, other translations say self-control, discipline, or soundness of mind. I think it's actually a a compilation of the first three things listed. Sound judgment is one that is not driven by fear. That acknowledges what is real, but it's not going to be driven and piloted by fear. It's one of the power of God, we recognize that's what drives us, and it's one whose filter is driven by love. Our focus is changed. The questions we ask are changed. And so the Spirit should guide us in all of life, always, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our businesses, in our hobbies, in all relationships, and how we handle our resources. But sometimes moments like this are a gift from God, to remove the blinders and to say, the spirit needs to lead you now. And the hope is that that continues after crisis because we need sound judgment in all of life, just as we do now. It's different for each person, each situation and scenario and and level of health and circumstances and relationships and influence is gonna lead to love and power and not being driven by fear playing out in a unique way because we have unique gifts, that we have the same job, be an effective preview of the reign of Jesus and the same spirit guiding, leading, and covering us all. I I read a quote that I thought was really appropriate in light of today. We do not lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. Most of us don't want to proclaim Christ as king, but we're actually blind enough to think that we're in so oftentimes God moves in ways to to open our eyes. I'm not saying that's happening, but what I am saying is that this is a moment to have our eyes opened. This is a moment to let the power of the spirit lead us in love and sound judgment and not in fear. It's a moment to rise up, way with sound judgment and wisdom which is going to be unique moment by moment and situation by situation and person by person to say this is what Christ through me looks like and that gives people hope and a time that it's needed I'm gonna invite Nate back up and we're gonna sing a song that welcomes the Holy Spirit into our lives to be our our guide To be our king, because it's the same spirit that is of Jesus. To embrace, not fear, but power, love, and sound judgment. And so I'd love for you to join us in singing this song and inviting the spirit and embracing the spirit that you already have if you're a follower of Christ. And may that spirit lead us to be the church in the way he's calling us to now. Let's continue to worship in song.